All right, guys, our next guest is easily not only one of the hardest working guys in the sport, but also one of the best analysts in the sport. You know him from his excellent work on CBS Sports Showtime and, of course, Morning Combat, where he predominantly discusses big booty Latinas with Brian Campbell, but also combat sports. We we typically stick around for that, too. Luke Thomas, welcome back to your MMA equivalent of a 2 a.m. you up text. How are you, man? Yes, that is a very good way to describe you, Donks. That's how I get your texts. They're always at like 3 in the morning. And I was like, it must be lunchtime where they are, but it's 3 a.m. for me. We always need to know what you're wearing first, and then we book in a time. Um, Luke, quickly, <laughs> before we get into the fights, dude, you did such a great job on the Showtime broadcast. Obviously, the Logan Paul Floyd Mayweather fight. Just very, very quickly, what was your reaction to the way this whole thing played out? A lot of people were a bit disappointed to see how the fight ended up going. There's people that are you know, obviously impressed with Logan for being able to stick in there. There's people who think that Floyd just didn't look the same. What was your big takeaway from the whole fight? I mean, I just thought this one was a, you know, I didn't think it was a calamity in the sense that um, obviously with the Showtime app being down for a lot of people, that was bad. Mm. Although, uh, and there's no excuse for that. I don't speak for Showtime, but you know, I, you know, I, it doesn't take a genius to be like that kind of thing shouldn't happen. And people who ha suffered some kind of wrong should get the refunds. And I think everyone will who, who had an issue. Um, aside from that being a bit of a problem, you know, I didn't think it was like a bad event, honestly, but I didn't think it was... I, it was the main event was boring, you know, mm. and that's not the worst thing in the world, but it was boring. It was boring. Like this is the thing, man. I said it before. Why couldn't Logan Paul versus Floyd have been a pro uh, about that? The result had gone on someone's record. And the answer is you guys know, but to, you know, for the audience's sake, because the commission can't allow that they cannot allow the state government cannot sanction that kind of about that would be really, really bad. Uh, they would, it would be a, they wouldn't do it. And B, if they did, you know, I don't know how much longer Florida would be able to do that kind of thing. So they had to make it an exhibition. Why? Well, if you're going to make it an exhibition and changing the rules and whatever else to get the job done, you know, you're you're taking everything away that folks expect from a normal bout, which could be good, could be bad, but there's a certain expectation of what normal looks like. If you're engineering the setup to get a better result, got to get a better result. I mean, it's just the end of it. Like, if you're the fighter in this equation and you're going up against the novice, you got to deliver. And obviously, Floyd tried. You know, and I thought rounds three, four, five, and six, sort of that middle part, whatever there, you know, I thought he was taking it to him as best he could. But Floyd's lost a step at age 44, which I don't think is controversial. I mean, even he is like, I wouldn't fight again pro, and I might do an exhibition again. I don't know what the future holds for Logan Paul. The only thing I would say is it's like your, your point about Logan Paul, like I gave him his props, man. I mean, I was so shitty to him and his brother on the lead up to this and everything else. Like I, <laughs> you know, I'm terribly insulting. But the, the truth is, you're right. Like, there's something to take away from that for him to go eight rounds is, you know, it's, I mean, he lost, I, I thought he lost all eight, certainly at least seven. That's pretty impressive still, man. That's actually really impressive to do something like that. I'll, I'll give him his credit. But, like, if you're not already a Logan Paul fan, were you invested in the climb? Were you invested in the story? Like, I'm not even hating, but am I am I a Logan Paul fan in that way? No, of course not. So, like, the fact that he triumphed in that particular manner is not especially interesting to me either. We'll see what happens with Jake Paul and Tyrant. I tend to think that one's got a little bit more fireworks written on it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, listen, you want to do these kind of sideshow things, which is really what it is because Showtime's got a core business, so it's not that. But if you're going to do that um, and you don't deliver, you know, people might not like a normal boring fight. You know, no one likes a normal fight that's 
boring. They don't go and say, well, because it's normal, we'll grade it on a curve. Normal fights can be boring too. But again, you kind of understand it's a little bit of the roll of the dice. The margin of error for entertainment when you engineer the setup, it's super thin and uh, it just didn't work this time. Mm. Just super quickly, did he drop him? That moment where Floyd hit him and it looked like Logan kind of collapsed on him and and got dropped and then uh, Floyd kind of carried him? Maybe, maybe. I mean, listen, he was getting stung. There's no denying. I mean, Floyd was, Floyd wasn't throwing a lot, but Floyd was landing uh, pretty cleanly on him when he tried, for the most part. At least again in that middle section. Mm-hmm. But this is what I'm getting at. It's like, oh, did Floyd actually drop him, and we didn't see because of blah blah blah. It's like, man, if you got to rummage through the wreckage like that, like where you're just trying to pick, oh, it's my mom's necklace when you're pulling it out of the fire, you know, like okay, <laughs> we got that, but you lost everything. I mean, you know what I mean? I'm I'm overstating with the metaphor, but like. If you have to parse it in that way, it should be obvious. Someone should have gotten blasted. Someone should have taken an obvious knee. Someone should have been obviously hurt. You know, you got to really lay it on thick with this stuff. And it was just, you know, you know, look like look like two guys sparring in the gym. That's not the worst thing in the world, but that's not what you're. That's not if you're making a claim about uh, what it's going to be, you got to deliver. But it's just it's just hilarious. Like you know, there's carrying and then there's literally carrying. What's that movie <laughs> where the guy's dead and they put sunglasses on him and they pretend like he's alive? Um, Bernie's Day Out or something. I don't know. A weekend weekend at Bernie's. Weekend at Bernie's. Like, Bernie's yeah. In a real bout. Remember this? Arlovsky cracked Paul Buentello and kind of got and level changed under him. Buentello fell right on top and. Uh, our last, it was like right at the beginning of the bout, too. It was like maybe the first or second punch that landed, something mm. crazy. And uh, Arlovsky kind of shrugs him off, and the crowd is booing. And you even hear Rogan say, you know, uh, they're, they're chanting BS, but the actual word. Mm-hmm. And Rogan was like, no, BS about that right hand because they saw it in slow motion. Mm. So even in, like, that can actually happen, and it has, but uh, different circumstance. Most importantly, how many uh, robes did you steal from the Versace mansion? And do you think the postage to Australia would be too much to uh, send your friends at Submission Radio on? I want to warn Luke Thomas one. That's worth more money. Dude, you know what was amazing about that? They, they was, that was Showtime's idea in advance. And they're like, what if we put you – because they knew they were going to be in the Versace mansion. Like, what if we put you in Versace robes? I'm like, I'm not going to say no. Yeah, mm, okay, sure. Yeah. And then they bought them ahead of time and then shipped them to the hotel, and they didn't arrive on time. Oh. Fuck. So then that morning, uh, they just drove us to the Versace store when it opened at 11 a.m. And we just bought them right there on the spot. I was like, dude, <laughs> it's nice to work for a television company. Did you keep the you know receipts? I mean? And then I and I, you, you and Brian the next day back at the store with the receipts. <laughs> no, this has never been warm. <laughs> yeah, Marinating and yeah, it smells like, sure, it smells like speed stick deodorant. But that's not me. <laughs> How much were they? Seeing as you, you didn't have to pay for them, how much were they? Each one is seven hundred dollars. Seven hundred. <sighs> Jesus, oh. not not for the submission radio budget. That's for damn sure. Um, hey, I can't story on the air, but I'll I'll hint it at it. Mm-hmm. You should ask me the next time I see you in person about the Versace saleswoman at that place. Big booty Latina, right? Oh, claro, of course. <laughs> Come on. Yes, yes. This is why we get you on, Luke. All right, let's talk UFC 263. Now that that's out of the way, uh, UFC 263, obviously, uh, Israel Adesanya versus uh, Marvin Vittori. The big rematch this weekend. I'm pretty excited, man. I didn't think I was going to be excited, but I'm pretty excited for this one, even though this was kind of not the fight people originally expected. I guess uh, these guys don't like each other. One of the biggest points of contention is who won the first fight. 
right? And I, I don't think there's really any controversy here. I'm surprised that both guys see it so differently. I think it's pretty clear that Israel won that fight. But mentally, what do you think it says about Marvin that he's, you know, kind of holding on to that fight as a win, not not trying to be disrespectful to him? But do you think that kind of part of learning and, and evolving is accepting your losses? Do you think it's detrimental in any way to consider that fight a win? Uh, what do you make of it? You know, it's, it's kind of interesting. If this goes five rounds, um, you know, if Marvin considers that a win, how, how's that going to play out? You know, I, um, I struggle with the, with, with saying more than we can reasonably infer from all of this. Um, having not spoken to Marvin in quite some time, I sort of understand what he's getting at maybe, which is like, um, the same thing that happened in the third round with him. Uh, in their initial encounter is sort of what, I mean, in, in different ways of fighting, but in terms of the shift, it's kind of what happened with Calvin Cater and uh, Zabit Megaman Sharapov, where if that one had gone five, you know, you like Cater's chances mm. a lot more than you did maybe halfway through the first round, you know, is that kind of a thing. Um, and I think that what he really picked up on was some of the stuff he was trying in the first two rounds just didn't work. And then he made a switch, a tactical switch, and in the third round it worked quite well. In fact, I think I have the numbers here in front of me, just about to be sure. Yeah, that's right. The first time they met, he was 0 for all his takedowns in the first and second round, but then he got two of them in the third. And the real big difference there, of course, was not that he tried. He only tried for two in all three rounds, but it was the way in which he shifted. A lot of times he was getting – I did a whole video about this. You know, when uh, I've been – and I remain a huge believer in the talent of of, of Adesanya, but uh, he did lose when he went up against Jan Blachowicz, and so I went into some, some of the wrestling to see what it was and where it all came from. Vittori was kind of the first one to figure the, all this stuff out, which is that if you press Adesanya against the fence, you know, people say his takedown defense is bad. Dude, that is just, I don't know how else to say that. That is, there isn't a hint of truth to that. There's literally nothing to that. You couldn't be more wrong if you said, Adesanya has bad takedown defense against the fence. He has some of the best anywhere. I don't. I'm not even sure he's been taken down in there in that since the Wilkinson fight. Like he's been taken down, but not in that way against the fence. That particular kind of uh, uh, series of moves that you need: an underhook, splitting your base, turning your hips over, wizarding, all that different stuff. He's very good at that. So what you saw Vittori do was wrap him up there and then pull him off the fence and then change directions to take him down into open space. The, the big revelation of the Blahovich fight was, among many things, the first, perhaps primarily, there's a big gap between Adesanya's takedown defense along the fence line and then out in open space. Vittori was the first one to kind of, you know, I don't want to call it crack the code, but, you know, take advantage of, of some of those differentials. Now you have to ask yourself, you know, what are we going to get on Saturday? Are we going to get a guy who's tightened that up a lot? I tend to think we probably will. Um, for the most part, but um, I understand where the source of confidence comes from. I, I, w I wouldn't want to say a whole lot more than that, but you know, yes, is it a mistake, generally speaking, to say something like that? But you know, it could be promotion and it could be a lot of other things. Um, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, the strategy is going to be key here. I mean, we were talking to Eugene Behrman and obviously Andre Paulette after that first fight with Marvin Vittori straight away. They figured out the mistakes that Israel was making and corrected them then on the spot. Then Eugene Behrman was talking about how they don't wait till after the fight to figure things out. Right on the way back to the locker room, sometimes he mentioned, on the flight back, they're already fixing problems. You'd think with that Jan fight, they would have found a lot of things to fix there. So I'm wondering 
How do you think Marvin's improved grappling skills are going to go up against Israel's improved takedown defenses? And do you think for Marvin, he's going to try and bring in a chain of wrestling that we haven't seen him implement against someone like Israel before? Do you think for him, he's sitting around thinking, all right, I'm going to do something different here? Or do you think that he believes he can still use the same attacks to set up the same takedowns, believing that, okay, maybe he thinks he's figured it out, but he hasn't figured it out against someone at my level? I think that he will adopt some of the same approaches, but with different entries, perhaps. Um, let me go back to Eugene Behrman first. I mean, if there is any guy in the game, in the game, who can look at something and then think of repairs to then fix it for a subsequent encounter, it's Eugene Behrman. I mean, that guy, he excels in initial game plans, obviously, but he particularly excels in second tries. Um, I just, I've, 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 I've talked to him after fights many, many times, Adesanya's or otherwise, and just, you know, the level of detail and understanding about the, what critically mattered and what didn't is remarkable. So, you know, uh, Vittori has his hands full in, in a lot of different ways. I'll, I'll say that primarily. Again, I want to go back to something. I mean, this is sort of what Adesanya is against, or uh, this is this is one of his challenges. Part of the reason why his takedown defense suffers when it's in the open relative to how it is against the fence line is not just because there's space around him. Obviously, if your back is against the fence, there's not much space behind you. But um, it's more than that. It, it is. A lot of times, and this is a reason why Blahovich had some success, you know, if you want to shoot for a takedown, sometimes you want to throw something at your opponent, right, so that they would throw back, and then you duck under that punch, um, or you get, you know, change levels, and then, and then you, you know, you go for the takedown. That's a simple kind of idea, but with Adesanya, he's a little bit more clever with it because he's constantly changing angles and foot position and, and uh, stances and all kinds of stuff. So what you see from him is that, a lot of times um, he'll allow certain striking encounters where his feet will be planted and his waist will be essentially on top of his feet, right, in a sort of a direct line. But you'll, you guys have seen it, like in the Whitaker fight, for example, where he has this, you know, these yeah. major leans back. Mm. If you look at the times when he gets taken down in the Blahovich fight, it's when there is this invitation to strike in a certain range, and you'll see uh, Adesanya, for striking purposes, often lean off, and big leans too. Like I can't demonstrably do it nearly as well or as much in this you know space, but you guys know what I'm talking mm -hmm. about. Yeah. But when he does, I mean, just think about it. Like If you were just told, all you have to do is just stop a takedown. It's all you have to do. How would you position yourself? You would probably position yourself like a wrestler. You would kind of hunch over, elbows in tight, hands first line of defense, staggering your stance, right? You're, you're getting low, you're threatening level changes. If that's all you ever had to worry about was that. Um, so imagine freeze frame Adesanya's body in your mind right before the moment of attack from the takedown. He's got his feet and waist kind of in one line and his trunk way on the other. It's like the exact opposite of where you would be if you were told to defend the takedown. It's like a, it's a very hard position where if you're if you get caught in that space, so that's the starting point of your defense for the takedown. Man, you're you're working in mechanically with every disadvantage at that point, right? So that's where they keep catching him to the extent that they do, which doesn't happen very often. But it, you know, the Blahovich fight it certainly did. Um, that that is really the key consideration. So you have to ask yourself, does Vittori have that? Because he did get some takedowns in the first time where he would get a hold of Adesanya, press him to the fence. And then, as I mentioned before, then pull him off and then send him in another direction. 
that still remains in play. But if Vittori is going to be striking, I don't think he has the patience or, frankly, the setups to get Adesanya really leaning, foot-planted, really getting out there. I think Adesanya is going to have to make some alterations about how he strikes and what strikes he uses to avoid scenarios like that. Um, but if it's just going to be one where Vittori just runs him into the fence, he might have some success with it. I do think that's true. Uh, but, you know, uh, it's not, it's, he doesn't go in there with the same advantages, either size or with skill, that Blahovich did. By the way, one more thing to consider, though. It's not just about defending the takedown. He's got to be able to get up once he gets taken down. Like, if you can do that, I mean, Kelvin Gastelum was on top in certain situations. I don't know how many takedowns he was credited with. But you saw Adesanya put the feet in the hips, press him away, mm. then stand up. You know what I mean? Like, it's it, it, go back and look at the Blahovich and Adesanya fight. If this is Adesanya and this is Blahovich, Blahovich was actually slightly above him. Did you guys remember that? Mm-hmm. And you had Adesanya. It's almost like the steamroller had moved forward on the pavement mm-hmm. where he was kind of getting flattened. You know, if, if Vittori can find himself there, he doesn't need many takedowns to have a lot of success. If he does take it to the ground, I'm very curious what Marvin does with it, because in that first fight, when he took him down, he just kind of held him there. Um, he didn't really, you know, do any significant damage. The other thing is with the Blahovich fight, uh, Israel was saying how his legs were just jelly and he kind of just couldn't really do anything on the ground. He couldn't really get up. It's as if his legs were just gassed. Um, from, you know, I guess the early parts of the fight. The interesting thing about uh, the Blahovich fight, the Gaslam fight, and the Vittori fight, all of those takedowns came in the third round, but no takedowns prior to that. So I wonder if you sort of, you know, see a pattern, if it's a case where maybe Marvin should save his takedowns for the later rounds, maybe like rounds three onwards. And I'm also curious, you know, if if Israel admitted to being sort of jelly-legged uh, in the end of the fight, how is that going to look in the later rounds for Marvin? If he can start t- getting takedowns rounds three, four, five, if maybe the title turn in any way. That'll be interesting. Uh, you know, if you look at Marvin's strike selection, doesn't do a lot of body work, right? Mostly mm. shots to the head, uh, good leg kicks. He's a heavy leg kicker for the, you know, relatively speaking. Um, so that could play a role. I don't, I'm not sure what to say about the jelly legs. I don't know what, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to make of that. I, I, had, I had, did he say that to you guys? No, it wasn't to us. I think it was just, uh, either the post fight. I think it was just immediately afterwards, probably to, to Joe Rogan. It might be, yeah, I don't know if he was referring to constantly having to get back up and maybe that gassed his legs. Mm. I remember using the word jelly. Yeah, I mean, I have to go back and look and see exactly what he did on top. Uh, and what, even in the Kevin Holland fight, you know, the kid, that was one where he was willing to just positionally control in the way that he had to. I, I do think that Vittori's got some good ground and pound. Um, I would not call, like, ground and pound his necessarily his best asset. But the problem with Adesanya is, like, uh, again, in the Kelvin Gastelum fight, dude, he was throwing up triangles, again, feet in the hips, like... When I I, I watched I rewatched the Blahovich fight a million times, and when I went went back in to do some tape study, and I and I went to the Gastelum fight, and the difference between him underneath in the Gastelum fight and the it's like two different guys, man. So if it's which one are you going to get? Like Vittori is kind of closer to Blahovich in size, I would say, than Kelvin Gastelum, even though they're fighting the same weight class. I realize that maybe it's some of a strange statement, but I just mean in terms of kind of the physical pressure he can apply. I tend to think there's that. If you're if you're out of sign, man, you've got to have a plan beyond just stop the takedown. I would imagine, I would imagine some kind of submission threat to create a scramble. I would imagine um, striking from underneath is a big deal. I would imagine anything you can do to be disruptive in that particular way. But the, you know, what you just don't want to do is be underneath, and all you're doing is just enough work 
to not get mounted, which you'll recall at the end of the fight with Blahovich, he finally had achieved that, right? He had moved right into mount right when it, uh, you know, more or less didn't matter, but, you know, he had sort of sealed the deal at that point. If you're, if you're so, you got to remember the levels of jiu-jitsu, survive, defend, attack, right? That's a very basic way of putting it, but those are the levels. You got to, if you're really out of your element, you just got to survive. And then when you get a little more technical with it, you can defend. And then when you get really technical with it and you understand the flow of the game, you can begin to apply your own game. I mean, I would like to see Adesanya in a territory if, for his own chances, a little bit closer to that attack. You saw that in the Kelvin Gastelum fight. He does have some opportunity here, as you mentioned, with maybe perhaps relative inactivity from that ground-to-pound position. But, you know, it's got to be all hands on deck in all positions. Yeah, so many factors going in here, so many variables. Both guys have been in the octagon together already. Marvin Vittori and Israel's mental warfare going back. The pressure of coming off a loss against Jan and having to perform and be that guy for the company, for Israel. We've seen that fight with Yol Romero where there was a lot of criticism where nothing happened. I feel like Israel does carry that from time to time. But my question to you, Luke, is how surprised would you be if this fight looks completely different? How surprised would you be if, for example, Israel is able to stuff these takedowns, pick uh, Marvin apart on the feet, and this thing goes completely different and finishes a lot quicker? And just quickly to add to that, we spoke to Dan Hooker last week, and he mentioned how when he saw Marvin backstage hitting the pads, he didn't expect much from Marvin. He didn't let on that they underestimated Marvin going into the fight. But what do you ex- expect maybe from Israel now that he knows what he's dealing with with Marvin? Maybe it was a little bit of a surprise for him at the time. Yeah, uh, maybe. I-, I-, I tend to think this about uh, about Marvin. I mean, you know, he first of all, he's come a long way technically from his UFC debut. I mean, this is a different guy in many, 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 many ways. And secondly, I think the most impressive thing you can say about him is he's got good individual uh, things that he does well. As I mentioned, pulling Adesanya off the fence that way. You don't see a lot of guys do stuff like that. Really begin to understand spatial awareness and direction change and empty planes. Like, I know Marvin gets a bit of a rap as a meathead, but (laughs) I mean, that's super technical stuff he was pulling off in that first fight. Um, I tend to think, though, that he is not – skills tend to win fights, right? He is not quite as skilled um, overall, I would say, as uh, uh, as Adesanya. And I think that, that kind of manifests itself in different ways. But the best thing you can say about him is, dude, he is hard-nosed, man. He is super hard-nosed. So could the fight be different? Yes. But he's got a certain kind of in-your-face element that will win him more fights than it will cost him but it may cost him against the very, very best. Like, you're sort of picking your poison, right? It's like, do you want a style where it will, first of all, it will feel natural to you, like to be just aggro, and you're going to beat a lot of guys and get your hand raised a lot of times with that kind of in-your-face mentality, you know, quite literally and metaphorically, (laughs) you know, uh, but you may have some trouble against someone who understands, you know, how, how to deal with the nuances of that pressure, plus that pressure Sometimes there's a trade-off in technical acumen um, in, in, in key aspects in order to have it. He's playing a little bit with that. Now, the question is, is there enough of a drop-off in that technical acumen to matter a second time around? You know, I don't know. You're asking me, will the fight look different? I think there's many, many ways where the fight could look different in certain areas. But that, and again, maybe maybe Adesanya starches him and, and, or vice versa. Maybe, you know, Marvin lands a punch and the whole show is over. But assuming it goes several rounds, I just have a feeling like 
Jan Blahovich sets traps and he's quiet and unassuming yeah. and he walks backwards on purpose and people are all too happy to walk into him. You know, he's very much the Venus flytrap. You know, <laughs> he's very interesting that way. Mm. Vittori is the opposite, dude. Vittori is the Jehovah's Witness knocking on your door <laughs> bop, 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 9 a.m. on Sunday asking you why you're not at services. And by the way, you know, uh, that, you know, I mean, he's, he's the dude who bangs his fist on the formica and just has to speak to the manager. You know, that creates a certain amount of, right? Yeah, that's who yes. he is, man. And again, dude, that wins him. A lot of fights against tough guys, really tough guys. The question is, if you are that oriented in such a strong direction and you build your game behind that against the very best, sometimes we will see on Saturday, it can be a little one note. Oh man, I love I love the comparisons. Uh, yeah. Demanding to see the manager. I'm I'm pumped for this fight, man. I just I want to see how much these guys have evolved since the first yeah. fight, some you know three years ago, both competing at the highest level. Um, all right, got to talk obviously well, about. Sorry, well, real quick, real fast. One thing you've not brought up that I do think is relevant is if I'm if I'm Vittori, and I get a hold of Adesanya, even if I can't take him down, you got to rough him up, man. Mm. Tons of body work. You got to be pulling him, pushing him, weighing on him. You know, you got to like, uh, you got to make the best of that aggro style you have, which is just rough and tumble, using the, the forehead to dig into his, you know, just constantly making life awful for him. Um, if you can do that and survive, the game is very much open later on in a fight. And he used to shave his head like he did for some of his fights and use those mm -hmm. the short hairs to just rough up Israel's face. Get, Dude, use the, every, old the, first, the, the old Cain Velasquez. This is a true story. As an adult, this is a true story. As an adult, I got out of the military and I went to an MMA gym and I had signed up for a wrestling class. It was my very first wrestling class. And we yep. just did drills where we had to use our head to push our partners away. And the, my partner for the drill, uh, if you guys have never been in a class, this is how all these things go. They, there's classes. They tell people to pair up and blah, blah, blah. I got paired up with this kid who had who had shaved his head with a razor and it had grown out like maybe a day or two. Oh, no. He sliced me to pieces. I couldn't oh, go yeah. to work for the rest of that <laughs> week because it looked like I'd been attacked by a bear or something. It was insane. You laugh, dude. If I was him, I would do the exact same thing. I want to, I want to make every position uncomfortable. Yes, I would do that. And you also chin them, and you shave your beard as well, and you and you use the face as well. It's yeah. Just well, <laughs> let's let's not get carried away now. See, that's let's, Logan let's Paul's not, let's problem. Let's not do the let's not do Floyd the, Mayweather. The <laughs> Logan Paul should have chinned Floyd Mayweather. Got rid of the beard. Down the old sandpaper attack could be a different story today, Luke. Mm. No. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Absolutely not. So no, it chance. wouldn't be. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Well, this seems like as perfect time as any while we're talking about shaving. To remind you guys to shave your balls, please, with only the best. Only the best. Throw away that old razor and get the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0, the best grooming tool on the market with the skin safe technology. The engineers spent over 18 months crafting this technology so you never have to worry about nicking your balls while you're shaving them and uh, having your balls look like, you know, a fight of the night candidate. The Lawnmower 3.0, they're giving it away with 20% off with the code SUBMISSION and they're also giving you free shipping. Who doesn't love free shipping? It is the worst when you spend a whole bunch of money and then they're like, ah, oh, and also pay this much for free shipping. Grinds my gears. So free shipping with Manscaped, the Lawnmower 3.0, use the code SUBMISSION, save some money today. Isn't that right, Dennis? 
That's right, man. We are presented by Manscaped. And if you guys have the lawnmower, go back on there. You got your ball deodorants, your ball wipes, all sorts of great products. Manscaped, one of the best companies out there supporting all your friends in the MMA industry, including Submission Radio. So go shave those balls today. And after you're done shaving your balls, there's only one place to go to make some money. And that is with my bookie. You guys know there are crazy fights this weekend. We're breaking them down with Luke. And you guys can go on there and make some serious, serious cash. Go sign up today with promo code SUBMISSION. And my bookie will match your deposit halfway up to $1,000. Visit my bookie online today. That's my bookie. And don't forget to enter the promo code submission. You guys can bet on the fights. You guys can bet on the NBA, all sorts of things. They have the best prop bets. Bet, win, get paid only at my bookie. That's right. Make some money this weekend. Uh, I, wonder if, I wonder if Nate Diaz and Leon Edwards used the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 to shave their heads. But anyway, speaking of the crazy fights this weekend, obviously we've got to talk Nate Diaz versus Leon Edwards with you, Luke. It is an unprecedented fight because obviously it's a non-main event that's booked for five rounds. Nate obviously likes his chances here in the later rounds. But in your opinion, how much of an advantage do you think it really is for Nate? Who who do you think it sort of benefits with Leon, you know, being, I guess, the, the big favorite? Do you think it's a case where Nate can kind of turn it up in the later rounds? Or do you think with Leon's style, it's really just going to be two more rounds of Leon being more dominant? Yeah, I don't know. This is a weird one to me. Like, I'm very curious to see what happens here because I tend to think that um, what I think Nate and his team are trying to do is if they want to make an impact at 170, who would you pick inside the top five that you would say Nate has the best chance to get? I mean, maybe you think he loses all of them, perhaps. But if you look at that top five, you know, so we've got, let's see, Kamaru, you've got Colby, you've got Jorge, or maybe he's in that space, I'm not even sure anymore. Um, you know, but you got a lot of guys in there who are difficult fights, hard-nosed wrestlers, whatever. Mm. If you looked at this one, you would still maybe in most cases favor Leon Edwards, but it's the most winnable for Nate at that weight class in that space, that mm-hmm. top five space. So I tend to think that what they're trying to do is uh, skip the queue, so to speak, by seeing if they can beat him and then see what happens after that, uh, which is not, I think, bad reasoning, especially if he's only got a hand, you know, who knows how many fights he has left at this point. But still, and Leon was off for a while, and the return against Bilal Muhammad was weird. Still, man, Leon Edwards is just, Leon Edwards has a really smart, modern game. It's not always that exciting, but it's very complete, and it's very focused on understanding Um engagement we don't really talk a lot about engagement in mma we do about like oh if i want to close the distance what's the best way you know a double jab or whatever but i mean engagement in terms of like do i want to fight you in this particular second or do i want to do it in a different way do i want to set it up do i want to use a fake from this one to to bring it back later on do i want to circle away and if i do and you follow how do i want to attack you He's got engagement down. He attacks when he wants to in the ways in which he wants to very, very explicitly. He's got real clear control. And then uh, if someone tries to change the game on him or he gets to a certain position, he's got, he's got, this is the way I explain it. Like he's got um, all of the subsequent steps memorized. If they put a hand here, do that. If they roll to their back, you move this way where everything is. I'm not saying he's painting by the numbers. I think at this point it's effortless. 
But what I mean to say is he's just got a real complete knowledge of the sport, of the particular way in which he wants to fight. He gets to these positions without a whole lot of danger. He can control them there for a pretty long time. Uh, works, uh, and I call them all halfway positions, right? Like where he has got one hook in, he's in half guard, something like that. And so if the position goes badly, he can bail without issue. Uh, if it, if he wants to aggressively push it, he can, you know, that's just somebody who's, who crosses their T's and dots their I's that way. Um, they should not lose, especially if they're a natural 170 or more to the point Obviously, Nate's going to get his licks in, and I think Nate should not be underestimated. And if the fight goes long, and by the way, it's five rounds for a reason, because I think Nate would not like his chances in three. I think in five, they go up a little bit more. You know, how much more uh, the audience can decide. But you get the idea here, right? Like, um, he's up against it, man. He's up against a, a very, very meticulous, careful, I won't say risk-averse, but ri a guy who manages the risk in a fight very well. and. You know, I, I I understand the thinking about why they want this fight, but they, they bit off a lot with this one. And if we're looking at Nate's uh, path to victory here, like, what do you think he can do to sort of shock some of the fans and win this one? Um, I think keep distance if you can, avoid leg kicks. Uh, so you have to put, he has to really back him up. He's got to put the fight, if you're Nate Diaz, uh, at the end of his range, not not allow uh, Leon Edwards to move in that way. Something kind of like what he did to Pettis over time, where eventually Pettis would slow down and then kind of put his back on the fence, and then you see the body work and then the combos. Nate loves those combos when the guys are kind of just backed up there, and that's going to take time. He's going to have to invest in that. It won't happen over uh, a short amount of time, so that's why he needs that fourth and that fifth round where if he's still there, he can he can hopefully take advantage of some of the investments he made early. But, like, you know, if, if I'll say this. If you see Leon Edwards roaming for long stretches where he's in and out of an engagement and uh, you know, he's not being cornered, he's not being wrapped up, he's not getting an underhook put on him, he's not getting pressed against the fence, that's super bad. And if, um, if uh, yeah, that's it really. That, that would tell you everything because that would tell you if the takedown's there, that would tell you if he's getting punished, that would tell you uh, if he's getting work to the body, it would tell you a lot. So it really is going to be about constraining Leon so that he doesn't do the constraining in the particular way in which that he does. Mm. Um, yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what happens post-fight. If, if Nate is trying to skip the queue, I mean, you got to think Kamaru Usman yeah. would love that money fight with Nate Diaz. Hey, here's the guy who's a big draw. You know, I'm, I'm a champion. I get pay-per-view points. He mentioned how he's kind of in here for a short time. He wants to maximize. Oh, a fresh guy, not Colby Covington again. you got to think Usman would love it. But Dana did say to us before he kind of shot that down, he said, no, Colby's next. We will see if that is the same uh, post-fight. Um, one more thing from me, Luke, and then I promise we'll let you go. I know it's quite late there, and that is obviously Davison Figueredo versus Brendan Moreno. Um, I'll, I'll hit you with a sort of two-for-one. Number one is how much of a difference do you think it is for Brendan that he's kind of tasted Figueredo's power? He knows exactly what he's in for. I wonder if that's going to help his confidence, and, you know, we see a different guy. But also, speaking of different guys with Davidson, the two weight cuts, the two training camps back-to-back -back in short succession, and then he had food poisoning on top of it all. I wonder how different he's going to look on fight night. What do you make of this one? Man, I don't even, I mean, how many of these do you run back? Cause the first five rounder ended in a draw, mm. you know, <laughs> I haven't seen many of those, man. I've seen draws. I've seen maybe even five round draws. I don't know if I've seen them run it back right away with two high level guys like this, that in that first fight was crazy. I do think that assuming his health is in order, which maybe is an assumption we should not necessarily rush to, but I hope is the case, certainly. 
Uh, I do think that Brandon's capacity for adjustment seems a little bit higher um, than Figueredo's. Figueredo seems to be more of a physical powerhouse and a smart tactician too. I don't want to take it away from him either, but um, I think he has overall worked on his game in a way where it's got a certain it's got a certain application, and that's kind of it. And that's very successful. I mean, it's he's you know he's a murderer, but. Uh, I don't know how adaptable it is off course from what it was last time. How many different things can he do? Some, I'm sure. Um, it just seems to be that Brandon Moreno is a little bit more malleable with the things he can do in between fights. So uh, I think Figueredo, as champion, deserves to be respected, maybe even favored. Uh, certainly, of the two, he is the power hitter. But Moreno's gumption and chin and, again, I think versatility and growth over time that window is short. You know, is there enough there? Maybe not, but I'm going to watch that one like you guys. Kind of like, to me, it's coin flip-ish. Maybe, maybe, maybe gun to my head, I go figure Rado or something like that. But even then, I wouldn't feel super confident about it because uh, of Moreno's ability also, I think, to rise to the level of a challenge. As long as he's not overwhelmed. And there were, there were a couple of moments where he got close, but it didn't work. Um his his belief in his ability to find openings at any point as long as the clock is ticking makes him crazy dangerous. And I do think, again, health in order. Um, he should have a little bit better cardio too. We'll see. Yeah, it's going to be a crazy night of fights, man. Also, Drew Dover, Brad Riddell, all sorts of fights on that card that are going to be really fun. It's going to be this weekend. But you can follow our man Luke Thomas at L Thomas News at Morning Combat. And we don't know what the fan only... Fans only uh, username is yet Luke. You're going to have to message that to us so we can add it to the link. But rest assured, we will subscribe for everybody else. Um, of course, the Versace Goats, the morning combat every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 1 a.m. Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday nights here in Australia. One of the best shows out there. And of course, give the Morning Combat YouTube channel a subscription as well. It's We love watching you and Brian do your thing, man. We love watching you guys do your thing with the showtime. Uh, broadcast, and we appreciate you staying up with us, even though you had a bit of a rough time with the troller, with, with, with the kid going on the train this morning um, and joining us on the show. It means a lot to us. And I want to see you in the next Baby Bunting catalog. I feel like you should be a fa the face of these prams and stuff, man. Turn this thing I mean, on. unless you're just trying to scare every kid and ruin their lives, keep me away from that, please. <laughs>